When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, April 24th, 2023. On the show today, news, listener questions, and how to tour Hollywood Studios without Genie Plus. Then in our main segment, Jim gives us the history of Disney's Animal Kingdom Lodge, which had its 22nd birthday just last week. Let's get started by bringing in the man who asks, what makes a good karate instructor? Is it years of training or the willingness to kick small children? It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? (laughs) By the way, as one progresses through karate training, you are awarded different colored belts. Then tell the world how skilled you are when it comes to the martial arts. And Mm -hmm. you start off with a white belt, then progress to an orange, then an orange belt with a black dash, then a blue belt, blue belt with a dash, yellow belt, yellow belt with a dash, green belt, green belt with a dash, brown belt with a dash, and finally a black belt. And Mm -hmm. Len... As of my own karate training, I bailed out relatively early. I had a white belt with a dash of orange, which basically means I spilled Dole Whip on my gi. <laughs> I was going to say, you went to a, you went to Orange Julius before your... Uh, there your we tra- go. There we go. <laughs> totally understand, Jim. Totally understand. There we go. All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout-out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers Valencia Joe, Ellie Kosartek, Evan103, and Arlen Hartman, and longtime subscribers Todd Pierce, Alex Bravo, VA Beach Dismom, and Scott Gillespie. Jim, these are the animal handlers who train the birds at Animal Kingdom's Gorilla Falls Exploration Trail to dazzle guests by running around, flying, and chirping like the cute little bundles of feathers they are. They say that most of the birds grew up as theater kids, so they're natural performers, and then if they ever need to get the bird's attention, they just play the Enchanted Tiki Room soundtrack during rehearsals. True story. Wow. I, I, again, I just learned so much. Carrot and stick, Jim. Show. Carrot and stick. There we go. All right, Jim, let's do the news. Folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish Podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. All right, Jim, Disney has announced another new DVC resort for 2024. Mm -hmm. This is a revamp of the super popular Fort Wilderness Cabins. Have you seen this? I'm just looking at the art right now. Very attractive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So these um these take the uh, the current cabins and replace them with modern. I hate to use the word glamping here, but uh, mm-hmm. very modern, almost uh, mid-century type cabins. Lots of glass everywhere, and I think that addresses mm-hmm. um, one of the big concerns I have about the existing cabins is that they're dark. Mm-hmm. But this has a. Uh, I mean, this this looks really really nice. It's a uh, it's got a sloped roof and then uh, plenty of windows. There's a lot of windows, Len, and maybe get up in the morning if it will just grab a rope. Grab a rope, yeah, because the bears will be out there seeing, uh, seeing everything. Uh, they also mm-hmm. said that the new development uh, includes a proposed pool and walking trails, which is which is great. Mm-hmm. They say that the uh, the sleeping accommodations are going to stay the same, so it sleeps mm-hmm. six adults now. It will sleep six adults in the future. Also, uh, the mm-hmm. same one bathroom setup. I was a little bit surprised by that because I think most 
DVCs now that sleep six, you know, basically that are one bedrooms, have two bathrooms mm-hmm. or at least one bathroom, you know, one and a half baths. But this is the same sort of setup that they have now. Yeah. Even Cabana Bay at Universal has sort of that split bathroom yeah. setup. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see how this how this goes. But, uh, but yeah, okay. I mean, I think overall it looks uh, really, really good. Mm-hmm. The cabins in general are super popular with guests. According mm-hmm. to our surveys, 90% of guests who stay here say that they would stay there again. 91% mm-hmm. of those guests would recommend the cabins to a friend. So, yeah, I think this is a... Is, not only does it look good, but I think it has a chance to actually mm-hmm. increase those numbers. So super positive um, development there. Jim, also I uh, want to note that this is the first construction project that's going to happen under the new Greedy Creek board. Mm-hmm. And Jim, if there's a fight over it, I want to be the first to claim merchandise rights for the name The Battle of Fort Wilderness. We will get t-shirts made. <laughs> Wow, our first merch. No, I love that idea. Okay, yes. If any of our listeners want to come up with uh, with designs for that shirt, let me uh, let me know. We can, uh, okay. we can cut you on the profits. And speaking of Reedy cool, Creek, cool, cool. Jim, in the last week or so, we've had some developments, and I've heard from a whole bunch of people. So we, we've not heard any more, Jim, about the idea of adding toll roads and taxes to Disney World's roads and hotels. Uh, and the reason for mm-hmm. that, uh, some folks from the grand old party in Tallahassee got in touch with mm-hmm. me. And let me say, friends, uh, welcome to the show and thank you for listening. Anyway, Mm -hmm. uh, Jim, I am told that internal polling of those ideas with constituents did not go over well and potentially would have been used against the governor in his presidential campaign. So the idea of raising taxes and uh, and adding Mm -hmm. tolls was not something that, uh, that was well received. Yeah, Politico actually had a, a story about this, about how folks almost reached out immediately and it's like, this is a non-starter. Stop yeah. talking about it. Yeah. Uh, so that, uh, that, that's going to go away pretty quickly. Cool. Also, the governor mm-hmm. uh, floated the idea of building a prison in the mm-hmm. Uriti Creek District, and it took about 10 minutes for someone to email me to say, will the prison be a stop on the monorail or no? So thank you for that. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. Also, Jim, the uh, Central Florida Tourism Oversight Board moved this week to declare the February 8th development agreement with Disney null and void. Speaking mm-hmm. at the last meeting, lawyer David Thompson from Cooper and Kirk said that Disney was in violation of the Florida Sunshine Law and failed mm-hmm. to mail notice to the other property owners in the district. Within minutes of uh, that statement being made, a bunch of lawyers got in contact mm-hmm. to say that Mr. Thompson's conclusion might be premature mm-hmm. for a couple of reasons. One is that uh, in cases like this, it's common for a judge to say, okay, then mm-hmm. send out the mailings and see if anyone objects. And mm-hmm. if no one objects, then no harm is done, and that doesn't mm-hmm. automatically void a contract. Uh, but the other thing that the lawyers pointed out is that there's language in the original Reedy Creek Improvement District charter mm-hmm. that suggests Disney doesn't actually have to send out notices. And I was pointed to, Jim, Section 23, mm-hmm. Subsection 3D, which mm-hmm. is titled Comprehensive Planning. And, Jim, the lawyers pointed out to me that it's always mm-hmm. great when the thing that you're talking about has a specific title in the contract, in the contract, under under question, like if we're talking about you know what you need to do for comprehensive planning, and there's a section mm-hmm. in the agreement that says things you need to do for comprehensive planning, that's mm-hmm. generally good for the lawyers. Anyway, the wording in that contract allows the board to quote provide for the manner in which such comprehensive general plans, codes, regulations, and restrictions shall be determined, established, and enforced, and from time to time amend, supplement, change, or repeal, with or without notice and public hearing as the Board of Supervisors may determine. So, 
when it comes to the comprehensive planning, they didn't need to send mm-hmm. out a, a notice. Also, Jim, Section 18 deals with fees, tolls, rentals, fares, and other changes around utilities, because that's the other thing that they're talking about. Subsection 5 of Section eight, Section 18 says that the Board of Supervisors can enter into contracts for district services. This is things like electricity. Mm-hmm. And Part C says, no hearing or notice shall be required prior to the authorization or execution by the Board of Supervisors of any such contract or agreement. There's also, Jim, in case in case those two, those two things weren't enough, there's also an overarching clause earlier in the, in the agreement that says that notices don't have to be sent if the landowners agree in advance, that they don't need the notices. So I'm assuming that Disney lawyers have a standard form that everybody who's on the board fills out and all the landowners that say, we don't need to send you notices for things. God, what an artful-written bear trap. <laughs> So then the Florida legislature introduced a bill to nullify the entire contract, saying Mm -hmm. uh, special districts would be prohibited from complying with development agreements executed three months or less before new laws take effect that change Mm -hmm. how the district board members are selected. And the amendment would also give new boards four months to review any development agreements and decide if they should be readopted. And again, Mm -hmm. I I, I have lawyers on speed dial at this point now, Jim. Those who don't text okay. me in advance. But anyway, uh, there are mm-hmm. some obvious issues with this. One is that nobody knows what laws mm-hmm. are going to be passed three months from now or what mm-hmm. board is going to be in place four months from now. So allowing a contract mm-hmm. to be voided because some undefined future group just doesn't like it would be mm-hmm. a huge change to hundreds of years of estab- well-established contract law. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're, if you're on either side of that contract and you know mm-hmm. that it can be voided for any reason three or four mm-hmm. months in advance because of something you can't foresee. How do you plan contingencies for that, right? Mm-hmm. right. How do you do long-range planning? All right, anyway, I actually, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, so I decided to look up whether a state can nullify a contract to which it is a party. Uh, and mm-hmm. again, thanks to all of our lawyer friends who texted me while I went through this, um, mm-hmm. especially those who said, uh, Len, it feels like we're studying for the bar exam together. <laughs> None of them, by the way, Jim, graciously mentioned that we're getting thousands of dollars an hour in free legal opinions. I just owe a lot of people a lot of drinks. Anyway, our lawyer friends say that it's actually possible for a state to invalidate a contract to which it is a party. Mm -hmm. As you can imagine, there are significant hurdles to overcome, though. So the uh, Mm -hmm. the most cited case here is U.S. Trust Company of New York versus Mm -hmm. the state of New Jersey. And Jim, if you ever want to sue a state, I think New Jersey Mm -hmm. is the first one that comes to mind, just for a variety of reasons. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know... it's all, kind of an attitude. Okay, I mean, you know, of all the states that yeah. you think could be sued, New Jersey's like got to be top three. There, there okay. we go. Anyway, right at the top. In 1974, the state repealed a bond agreement that affected U.S. trust. And so the, mm. the company sued. In 1977, the U.S. Supreme Court sided with U.S. trust. And the mm. Supreme Court of the United States said, look, you can do it, but there's a three-part test that has mm-hmm. to be satisfied for when states mm-hmm. try to get out of a contract that they're a party to. The first thing is the impairment, the thing that you're going to do, has to be mm-hmm. reasonable and necessary to serve an important public purpose. Uh, so the state has to give mm-hmm. a specific reason for nullifying the contract, and it has to be good for the public. Two, the state has to show that there's no alternative that would do the same thing but cause mm-hmm. less havoc. So the courts are going to ask, look, is there a less drastic way for you to accomplish this thing without voiding the contract? Mm -hmm. And then third, the state can only cancel the minimum amount of the contract necessary to achieve parts one and two. Mm -hmm. Okay. I note, Jim, that Florida's proposed legislation does none of those three things. So will Mm -hmm. not pass the U.S., the three-part 
test mm -hmm. established in U.S. trust. And if yeah. that's not enough, mm -hmm. Jim, late Thursday, mm -hmm. Florida's Attorney General Ashley Moody holds a press conference that actually mm -hmm. that accidentally cuts off the legislature and board of supervisors at the knees because she says, that, look, under the terms mm -hmm. of the contract, some of Disney's mm -hmm. internal communications might now be subject to Florida's mm -hmm. sunshine laws. So now you have the executive branch of Florida saying, yeah, it's a valid contract and you've got to do these things. But the mm -hmm. legislative branch is saying, no, it's not a valid contract. And Jim, this is the last thing I'm going to say mm -hmm. on this on this subject for this week, but this is why Disney hasn't said anything. Because Florida's doing a great job of, of proving that they don't know what's going on right now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the very thing that I think DeSantis feared about this situation, the fact that other Republicans who are in the running for uh, president have been bringing up this issue, this battle with Disney. I guess. Yeah, Chris, Chris Christie, Christie, Donald Trump. Well, well not yeah. only that, but I, uh, somebody pointed out to me that noted liberal rags, the Wall Street Journal and the National Review, mm -hmm. which is basically yeah. uh, you know somewhere near the Marxist-Leninist uh, extreme scale, I'm sure, um, both yeah. said, dude, knock this off. Like, this is not great. <laughs> And if you follow this up with what's going on in Florida right now, with the flooding in Fort Lauderdale, which is now leading to yeah, a, a, forgot, a, yeah. a gas crisis. You're getting a lot of know. that, like, why are you spending time on, on this thing versus mm -hmm. we can't get gas in South Florida? Let's not even talk about the whole home insurance you know, crisis in Florida. Oh, I mean, it's just... 20% it, it, up... Uh, there's, there are actually some yeah. parts of Florida where insurance is going up more than $10,000 a year for your house. Dude, that's a mortgage payment for a lot yeah. of people. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. yeah. All politics is, in fact, local. And if the flooding fuel situation, Fort Lauderdale, the, the home insurance thing, this is not a great time to be to fighting be Mickey Mouse. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe not the best optics right now, even if you have a point, right? You got to choose your battles. But at the same time, he's out campaigning. I mean, he was just up here in New Hampshire doing the Amos uh, Tuck dinner in front of, you know, 500 of the, the more powerful Republicans here in this state. And, you know, again, remember, he, he didn't leave his book tour in Ohio when, yeah. when Fort Lauderdale was going down for the third time. So if the coverage is true, there's a number of folks in Tallahassee who are quietly trying to... I've heard like, this. Look. Yeah, yeah, I heard yeah. this from our... Yeah. Our friends, like let's let's talk some sense into, into this. Also, yeah. I, I've heard too that the legislature, for their own mm -hmm. re-election campaign, does not want to look like they're uh, they're basically a rubber stamp for the governor's office. So there's that's there's exactly some pushback there so. too. Interesting. Yeah. It's going to be fa you know fascinating to see where we are in a month's time. Yeah. So I mean, the board can say, mm -hmm. and the legislature can say that mm -hmm. the agreement is null and void, but it actually mm -hmm. takes a court to do that. So uh, it's going to be it interesting does. to see whether Disney just proceeds as mm -hmm. if the agreement is still there and waits for mm -hmm. uh, a court to say it's not. It'll be interesting yeah. what their next move is. So we'll see. Yeah. yeah. I forget who it was that said this, but basically it was like, look, DeSantis dealt with the dumb CEO at Disney, but now this is Bob Iger. <laughs> I heard that too. He's somebody, yeah, we won't go into the quote, but it was beautiful. I'll look it up and we'll, we'll laugh about yeah. it separately. Yeah. yeah. All right, Jim, on to listener questions. Um, Jim, I've said before on the show that the best way for Disney mm -hmm. to incorporate Tiana's Bayou Adventure into the Magic Kingdom mm -hmm. is to take Tiana's Bayou Adventure from Frontierland, Pirates of the Caribbean from Adventureland, and maybe Pecos Bills mm -hmm. from Frontierland, and put them in a new land called New Orleans Square. 
Mm-hmm. It resolves the timeline conflict with putting late 1920s Tiana in a frontier land that doesn't exist past 1895. Also, not for nothing, the merchandise sales alone, Jim, from adding mm-hmm. a new land would pay for the entire project and more. So a couple of people wrote in uh, to say that it would have another benefit. Because mm-hmm. it's New Orleans, Disney would be able to have Mardi Gras-themed parades and maybe special mm-hmm. events, which would then compete with Universal's own Mardi Gras events. So Mardi Gras is a huge event for Universal, drawing in people from Louisiana and other parts of the South. And Jim, I, mm-hmm. I really can't think of a downside to this idea at this point, can you? The one thing I think we need to stress here is that the Magic Kingdom literally has just opened Tron Light Cycle Run, uh, and we've got Tiana in the works at this point, and we have Epcot wrapping up its redo of Future World and coming on the heels of all the work that's going on at the studio. The park the studio is going to invest in next has got to be Animal Kingdom. And in the Lazy Susan tradition, they won't get back around to the kingdom for a number of years yet. Now, mind you, it's entirely possible the next time they revisit, uh, you know, I mean, just based on what's going on out in California, for example, how they're taking the French market out there and turning that into a Tiana-themed restaurant. Entirely possible years down the line, but I... I think they could do it now. I think they could do it now. I mean, the hood's open, Jim. You must as well do the work. I get it. But if you talk with folks about this very issue, you are talking about where parades enter and exit the park. I mean, they literally roll down that hill. Yep. And it's just sort of like, if if you do work during this time, we've only just got full-size parades coming back into the park within like the last six to eight months. Yeah, that's true sort of the Hippocratic Oath of of theme parks. It's like, (laughs) do no harm. (laughs) That's a great way of putting that. That's funny. That's awesome. And also, there's a number of folks who want to see the Tiana's Bayou Adventure is in fact a hit before they then re-theme. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just sort of like, what happens if maybe that's not as successful as Splash Mountain was. And oh, you know, sort of like, you know, plus going yeah. with the, uh, um, we don't have anything, so let's push things off as long as possible and break them into smaller chunks to get more publicity from it. They could open Tiana's and then a year later, two years later, say, oh, we're going to make this New Orleans Square and get two yeah, publicity yeah, yeah, hits for the same project. You literally have a quick service right across the street with Pecos Bill. Turning that into a Tiana yeah. uh, yeah. theme beatery it is a no-brainer. It could be a multi-step thing. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Just yesterday, Deadline was reporting that the next round of layoffs, with a heavy emphasis on ESPN, begins next week for yeah, Disney. Yeah. So it's like, hey, and we're going to build a quick service restaurant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I get your point. It, it's fair. Right, so, I mean, it, it, I still think it's a great idea. We'll see We'll see if it happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. no, no. Wonderful idea. Just, just you know, have to actually wait for the, the, the way the business actually works. So, All right, yeah. cool. All right, uh, Jim, Brent wrote in to uh, to say mm-hmm. this. On the latest Disney dish, Jim mentioned Avatar mm-hmm. replacing Carousel of Progress at Disneyland, but then said mm-hmm. that if it expanded, it might replace Star Tours. But I'm not mm-hmm. sure how that would work when they're separated by a walkway. Did he mean that Star Tours could be a potential alternate location if Carousel is too small? So, Jim, I thought you meant that they would actually take the Star Tours simulators and move them over to the Carousel of Progress building, which would free up the Star Tours building to be something else. Is that what you meant? You know how at the Magic Kingdom they have that walkway now between 
Main Street USA and Tomorrowland that periodically opens as a, a blow-off, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. They would love to build something similar at Disneyland for the very same reason, that you know, there are times when the park gets so crazy, so busy. One of the things I've heard is, for example, leaving Star Tours in place, but the retail that's located in the exit of Star Tours, um, oh, sort yeah, of yeah. Simp- okay, yeah. simplifying that so there could be a blow-through there that could temporarily open and close between Main Street and Tomorrowland. I get what's particularly troubling about that idea, though, is this is where the parade floats park uh, uh, at that park, you know, once they've run down Main Street. So... It would mean, for example, you couldn't use this blow-through unless the parade floats were out of that space. So there's a lot of discussion about what to do with Tomorrowland at Disneyland. And, and, you know, a lot of it does, in fact, key off of the recent success of Avatar The Way of Water. In fact, there is a third and final expansion pad for Avatar The World of Pandora in, in Florida. Okay. And is the, is the expansion pad still there? It's it's still there. Just it's it's off to the left as you you charge down the hill toward the the floating mountain and the uh, the Navi River Adventure thing. So they could throw something additional in there. I think there's a number of Imagineers though who are just like, can we wait to see the next two movies? <laughs> That's right. Because Way of Water did well. It's yeah. like the third highest grossing film of all time. But I yeah. wouldn't say that there was a buzz about it. Was there? No. No, no, there was not. And more to the point, it's like, we're going to do something off of the second movie. Great. Build a giant ocean. That'll fit there. So, All right, Jim, a couple of other uh, listener uh, emails. Evie and Jonathan Mm -hmm. wrote in in response to my comment last week about a universal Orlando food survey that asked about Mm -hmm. kosher meal options, but not halal. Mm -hmm. So Evie and Jonathan said that because kosher was generally more strict than halal, Mm -hmm. many folks who eat halal will often look for kosher food because they know it's acceptable to them. So most things that are halal are kosher, but not the other way around. A proper subset for you mathematicians out there. And Jim, <laughs> let me say that while I'm not Jewish, my family is Italian. And mm-hmm. both Jews and Italians belong to what I call the diaspora of guilt-based mm-hmm. parent culture. And that also includes most Asian and Afri- African countries. We're like the united colors of Benetton over here. Okay, anyway. <laughs> Jim, anyone who's okay. anyone who's Jewish or Italian knows that while the rules are important, it's the mm-hmm. exceptions that count. Mm-hmm. So I went to my local halal cart guy, Mohammed, brother of Saeed, both from Egypt, and I asked Mohammed if there's anything that's kosher that's not mm-hmm. halal. And Mohammed said mm-hmm. that the one area where there seems to be a difference is in the prayer requirements before the animal is killed. So it looks like mm-hmm. some Muslims interpret the requirement so that a prayer must be said for each animal, while mm-hmm. kosher requirements allow one prayer for a set of animals subject to different rules about what counts as a set. So most most of the time it's the same, but you know there's always the one exception and that was it. So yeah, interesting, uh, interesting point there. Furthering my education on our little podcast. So. And speaking of education, uh, two weeks ago I mentioned about word pronunciation, Jim, that in English, mm-hmm. words that are both nouns and verbs have when they're said aloud stress on different syllables, so they sound different, like record and record. And on last week's show I mentioned that based on a bunch of reader emails, monosyllabic words are an exception. And you know what happened next, Jim. This week mm-hmm. I got an email from Laura Lisano and her mom who added mm-hmm. these two words, accord as in Disney will not accord its powers to the state and Captain mm-hmm. America will not sign the Slovakia Accord. And the 
The interesting thing here is that I actually pronounce them differently with the stress on the mm-hmm. O for the noun and the R for the verb. And the Cambridge mm-hmm. Dictionary lists two acceptable pronunciations for the noun mm-hmm. and two for the verb that match this. So this might be a regional thing. But uh, Laura's mom sent in the word surprise, mm-hmm. uh, which, yeah, I can totally see that. I think I see them differently, but I really had to think about it, so it's probably not noticeable. So, yeah, surprise is okay. a monosyllabic word that, uh, uh, that, that sounds the same as both a noun and a verb. Um, let me just a slight <laughs> deviation here. This is a podcast about Disney theme parks, but go ahead. <laughs> okay. okay, well, no, no, no. I just a, a few years back, I got to interview uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt about his brand new series, Hit Record. Or okay. it, uh, it, see, that's what I called it, but it, it actually turns out the show is called Hit Record. Oh, okay, that's which funny. Got the interview off to a great start. <laughs> Let me tell you. Like, is this guy from Telemundo? Does he not understand the pronunciation? What's going on here? It's beautiful. All right. On to some actual theme park stuff. So, uh, so Jim, last okay. week we uh, said that uh, we were testing Hollywood Studios touring plans. Um, so mm-hmm. over the last couple of months, we've been benchmarking both the touring plan software and the predicted wait times we use mm-hmm. in the parks. Um, so, for example, we're making a change to the optimizer that says... If you're starting your touring plan at park opening, we're going to mm-hmm. assume that you're already somewhere in the park and not at the park entrance. So if you're in the Magic Kingdom, for example, we're going to assume that you're somewhere near the central hub, not at the mm-hmm. train station at the front of the park. And that actually changes the first attraction that the software suggests because it knows you have to walk mm-hmm. less to get where you're going. Mm-hmm. And we're also testing changes to the shape of the curve we use to predict wait times in the first 15 minutes the park is open. So for example, we know that when the park opens up, the wait for all the rides is zero minutes because there's no one in line, right? Mm-hmm. But 15 minutes later, 15 minutes after mm-hmm. the park opens, we know that the actual wait time for popular rides like Seven Doors Mine Train can be like 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. And so you have to connect that zero minute wait at park opening with the 40 mm-hmm. minute wait with some sort of line or curve. And the question is, mm-hmm. how do you draw that line or curve? So the default that we've been using for forever is to just draw a straight line between 0 and 40. That's linear interpolation to you math nerds out there. Okay, but we've seen instances where the line grows faster than that. So it looks more like a curve that jumps up really fast. So imagine a clock face gym with the numbers 1 to 12 Mm -hmm. on it, like, you know, like normal. Draw a curve that follows the clock dial from the number 9 to the number 12. That's a curve that goes up faster than linearly, right? Technically, it's exponential because it's a circle. We don't think that Disney's lines grow exponentially, but it might be logarithmic. So we're testing logarithmic growth functions for interpolation in that first 15 minutes the park is open to see if that changes the first and second rides the optimizer suggests. So we decided to test this over at Hollywood Studios over the past couple of weeks for a couple of reasons. Um, One, it it was spring break, so it was super busy. So like every day that we tested was either a 9 or a 10 on our crowd calendar scale. Also, there's only like nine or 10 attractions in the park, excluding shows, which means there's only like 3.6288 million different touring plans. And you can Mm -hmm. actually write a computer program to evaluate all of them very quickly. Um, We included a couple of character meet and greets. So Red Carpet Dreams and Meet Chewbacca or Meet Olaf, because character greens are super popular with every age group too. Mm-hmm. And we excluded Rise of the Resistance for a couple of reasons. One is it breaks down super often. In fact, the first couple of times we tested this where we were actually using Rise, Rise of the Resistance, um, mm-hmm. the different touring plans ended at different times only because Rise of the Resistance broke down for some people 
and not others. So you basically, because it's so unreliable, you have to take fries out of the side-by-side testing for mm-hmm. any group that you uh, do. Um, also, because it breaks down so often, we recommend people use individual lightning lean for it. Mm-hmm. So that takes it out of the, the things that you do other than that. So we tested okay. the okay. so we tested the touring plan side by side against cast members who work in the studios. So one group mm-hmm. followed our touring plan step by step, and the other group was cast members who used their knowledge of the park to determine where to go and when. And let me point out, mm-hmm. Jim, that the average person who's coming in from Kansas does not know the park as well as a Disney cast member. So this is a really decent competition. We also used it, didn't want to use Genie Plus for a couple of reasons. Number one, it was it was thirty five dollars a day per person yeah. during spring break. And, and also the, the attractions that you get is kind of a lottery and we want to remove as much randomness from the testing as possible. So save money and remove randomness. So we came up with a touring plan actually that works really, really well across mm-hmm. a number of scenarios. And it will give you now this touring plan for the studios. Okay. So first thing is Slinky Dog Dash. Not a surprise to mm-hmm. anyone. You should definitely go there first. Um, okay. Number two, Toy Story Mania. And the reason for that is it's right there next to Slinky Dog Dash cuts back on backtracking. Um, number three, Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run. And uh, I'll tell you why it's not second in a minute. Fourth, okay. and this is the surprise, Red Carpet Dreams with Mickey and Minnie Mouse. And the reason for that is that opens up usually an hour later than the park. So the, for the mm-hmm. days that we were testing, park opened up at eight, Mickey's opened up at nine. You can get through those first three attractions and be in line for Red Carpet Dreams for only a minute or two when it mm-hmm. opens and you'll be among the first people to go in. And that's important because this line, Red Carpet Dreams, mm-hmm. can be 40 minutes by 10 o'clock. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it grows very fast. And again, think about it. I mean, um, mm-hmm. character greetings have terrible throughput capacity, mm-hmm. right? A couple mm-hmm. hundred people an hour max. It's not like Millennium Falcon, which is doing 15, 16, 17, 1800 people an hour. Red Carpet Dreams, mm-hmm. if it does a sixth of that, is having a great mm-hmm. hour, right? So, so mm-hmm. that's why it's important to do that. Then Star Tours. Mm-hmm. Then Muppet Vision 3D, because you're right there. Cuts it on mm-hmm. backtracking. Alien Swirling Saucers. And by this point, mm-hmm. you've got almost all of the major attractions out of the way. So the things that are mm-hmm. left would be Tower of Terror, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, Meet mm-hmm. Chewbacca, or Meet Olaf. That was our other character mm-hmm. reading. And then Rock and Roller Coaster isn't open right now because it's doing its refurb, but you would do that somewhere mm-hmm. in there. Um, okay. This should have you finished by 2 p.m., Mm-hmm. which frees you up to see shows like Beauty and the Beast, Indiana Jones, and Frozen mm-hmm. for the rest of the day. What I like about this plan is, you know, yes, later on, there is a, a certain amount of running across the park going on, but a lot of it up front is, is really concise and, and neighborhood-driven. I mean, yeah, nice so it, here. Yeah, cutting on backtracking, because, you know, the studios is, is sort of an odd layout for a park. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also an alternative variation of this plan, which swaps Star Tours and Millennium Falcon. And here's the thing that we noticed. Mm-hmm. Um, Millennium Falcon's posted wait time when we were there mm-hmm. got as high as 100 minutes on some days. But mm-hmm. when we got in line for that 100-minute posted wait, the actual mm-hmm. wait was like 33 minutes. Wow. And it's really difficult. Well, first of all, mm-hmm. and anyone who looks at the sign is not going to mm-hmm. think it's 30 minutes, right? And that makes it super difficult to model. Like, you can't model an an error that's three times the size of the actual weight. That's just, there's no model that's ever going to predict that, right? But this is the main reason why getting actual wait times is so important. Like lots of sites, even Disney, provides posted wait times. But posted wait times are wrong. It's the Mm -hmm. actual wait times that count. And this is why we do things like this. 
So we incorporated the actual wait times into the uh, uh, into the models, and that's what it came up with Millennium Falcon, either mm-hmm. third or fifth around uh, Red Carpet Dreams. That's a little concerning. What well, is? Because I mean, poke... again, going back to the you know the, the the whole thing is like, how do you plan under uncertainty? Like, if somebody's telling you it's a hundred minutes, how is the yeah. model ever going to say no? It's thirty three. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's tricky, I, right? I got to wonder about that. Yeah. yeah. So. Anyway, but that's the uh, that's the plan. And uh, this week, Chrissy uh, and our friends, uh, cast member friends, are testing Animal Kingdom, so we'll have mm-hmm. that uh, for you guys on uh, on an upcoming show. Ooh, can't wait. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim tells us about the history of Disney's Animal Kingdom Lodge, which opened this month back in 2001. We'll be right back. My mom is 92 and still sharp as a tack. Just last weekend, I joined her at the first birthday for my grandniece, Charlie. And while we watched Charlie attacking her smash cake, evidently that's a thing now for a kid's first birthday. You give them a teeny tiny cake of their own, which they then get to smash. Who knew? Anyway, we're at Charlie's birthday party, and the topic of silverware comes up for some reason, and my mom then talked about her and my dad's very first set of silverware, which they purchased at the Cherry Point PX back when my dad was stationed in North Carolina during his stint in the Marines. And I'd never heard this story of the early, early days of my parents' marriage, the two of them starting out as a couple in the mid-1950s and needing, well, everything. Dishes, cups, knives, forks, spoons. You know... It's hard to imagine your parents as very young people still finding their way in the world. Which is why I'm so, so glad I got my mom's story worth a while back. Because now I get to learn about what she and my dad's lives were really like back then. StoryWorth is an online service that helps you and your loved ones connect through sharing stories and memories. And then preserves those stories and memories for years yet to come. Every week, StoryWorth emails your mom a thought-provoking question of your choice from a vast pool of possible options. Each unique prompt asks questions you've never thought to ask, like, what's some of the best advice your mom gave you? Or if you were to do it all over again, what would you do differently? I've really been enjoying reading my mom's answers to these questions, uh, largely because I'm learning so much about my mom's mom, Helen Grant, who grew up in the hills of Kentucky but eventually made her way to Massachusetts, where Helen then found herself the wife of a powerful Boston politician, not to mention the mother of four of the small kids. It's those stories of my mom's childhood, of her roller skating down especially steep hills in Dorchester, Mass, that she's shared thanks to Storyworth. By the way, after one year, StoryWorth compiles all those questions and stories, including photographs, into a beautiful keepsake book the whole family can share for generations. I was just up in the attic recently looking for more photos to add to this book, making it that much more special and meaningful. So give all the moms in your life a meaningful gift you'll both treasure for years. StoryWorth. Right now, for a limited time, you'll save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash dizzydish. That's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash dizzydish to save $10 on your first purchase. Again, that's storyworth.com slash dizzydish. We thank them for sponsoring today's show. All right, Jim. I was finishing up the hotels chapter for the unofficial guide this week, and I noted in it that if you like theming and you like food, there are really only two places you need to consider staying at in Walt Disney World, and that's the Grand Floridian and Disney's Animal Kingdom Lodge. And you pointed out that Animal Kingdom Lodge is having an anniversary this month, and that would make an excellent tie-in for a show. 
but you you've got the numbers on who likes to stay where, right? Or? Oh yeah. So the uh, if you look at reader surveys for Animal mm-hmm. Kingdom Lodge, they are excellent. So for Jumbo House, eighty nine percent of guests who stay at uh, Jumbo House say that they would mm-hmm. stay there again, and ninety percent say that they'd recommend it to a friend. And at mm-hmm. Kidani, the numbers are even higher. Ninety four percent say that they would stay there again, and ninety three to say that they would recommend it to a friend. And not only that, but things like the staff friendliness and the uh, mm-hmm. gets high marks and the room views at Animal Kingdom mm-hmm. Lodge where you can see into the savannah and see the animals. That's kind of incredible. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this really, really well in a lot of areas. I mean, I know it's incremental, but why do you suppose Kidani does that little bit better than Jumbo House? That's a good question. I don't know. I think, it's, uh, I think it might be DVC. Okay. Okay. Could be. Just like you, big fan of, of Animal Kingdom Lodge and the amazing attention to the detail, the ability to view the animals. But when people talk about Animal Kingdom Lodge, they do often mention Peter Dominic. He's mm-hmm. the Denver-based architect whose firm, uh, 4240 Architecture Inc., they designed, well, not just that Walt Disney World Resort, but also Wilderness Lodge in Florida is the Grand Californian Hotel and Spa out at the Disneyland Resort in California. I get why people kind of lump those three together. They, you know, they all have that multi-storied lobby. That we just mentioned the attention to the detail. And all three of these hotels celebrate nature in, in their own unique way. But lumping in Animal Kingdom Lodge with Wilderness Lodge in Grand California, I think really sells this now 1,307-room resort short. And that's largely because, well, when you build a hotel... You know, you do the horizontal stuff. You do the the foundation, the underground plumbing, the electrical. Then you go vertical, the building itself. You load in your soft goods, your your furniture, your bedding, and that sort of thing. And finally, you know, while that's going on, you're doing your landscaping outside. Where is, with Animal Kingdom Lodge, uh, Len, there were aspects of the landscaping of this 75-acre complex that actually got underway long before any steel or concrete work was began, you know, getting underway in 1999. I'm sure that happened, but I think that's sort of like Disney beginning with a story and thinking mm-hmm. about how the story is going to look from a setting perspective yep. before they actually mm-hmm. build it. So that, that, that kind of makes sense. Well, first of all, Animal Kingdom Lodge got basically announced as uh, Animal Kingdom, the theme park, was just getting ready to open. They, they mentioned, oh, by the way, I know this park is opening on April 22nd, but you know, just a week to 10 days ahead of time, they mentioned again that this hotel that would have you know, its own view of, of animals would be opening a few years down the line. And we're talking about four different savannas that have 250 hooved animals and birds on display. And the problem with all of these herbivores is they're going to eat everything that's in the enclosure yeah day one that was what (laughs) landscaping had to deal with (laughs) can you imagine those meetings (laughs) hey by the way landscaping bring in more plants (laughs) keep the buffet open yeah when they started design and development in animal kingdom lodge they had to face facts that they were basically building a hotel that was going to share space with a zoo and from a guest safety as well as a pleasing sightline point of view, mm. that presented Peter Dominic and, and the team at 424 Architect Inc. 
with all sorts of challenges. There's a reason why we don't see lions on the savannah, oh, right? No, no. In fact, that that's the thing. That, that, that There's great talk of the initial conversations about, oh, what are we going to look out the window and see? You know, because there was one iteration of this plan where it's like, well, look, we'll just build the hotel so it faces onto the African savannah. And it was like immediately the animal care specialist said, oh, God, no. No, no. When we throw at the cow carcass that the lions feed on, how will that look to guests? <laughs> Do we send them gift baskets? Do we send them therapists? Like, what? What's step two in this plan? <laughs> like, yeah, I you know. So, the, 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 again, immediately the carnivores were taken off the table. It had to be all herbivores. We're herbivores! And- right, what's the, what's the line from It's Tough to Be Pug? We're pollinators! Yeah, they're singing like, yeah. There we go. We're herbivores. All right. Okay. All right. Go ahead. You know, and uh, <laughs> and, and you know, the other issue, frankly, you know, so it's it's like Dominic gets selected because Michael Eisner likes his work previously on Wilderness Lodge. Uh, they also tap uh, Herbert Halbeck. These are the folks who handled the landscaping for the dolphin and the swan, not to mention the all-star and the wide rule of sports complex. And so they sit down with Joe Rohde, the place they picked out to build this hotel, the perfect site for it is where they built a retention pond so they could build the roadways around Animal Kingdom. Yeah, you can kind of see the retention pond as you drive in. Yeah, and it also bumps up against 400 acres of wetlands. Mm -hmm. And it's like you're trying to make the African savanna this flat, dry place. And so Fred Helbeck, uh, he, he did an interview with uh, Chuck Mariachi of, of the Diz and talked about this whole issue of, all right, we're going to be building these four savannas filled with herbivores. And it's like we realized no matter how much they were being fed by artificial means, by the feeders, by the keepers, you know, in essence, the landscape we were going to create in these animal habitats was nothing more than a giant salad bar. Oh, yeah. It, it's like, imagine imagine if I built a house for Hannah, but made it out of chicken nuggets. Like, what? <laughs> and then, and no matter how much food you bring in, right, you can, you can yep. Uber Eats all the stuff you want, but when the walls are made of chicken nuggets, Jim. <laughs> yeah. And, and, well, the other thing that, that Fred pointed out is like, look, they're going to eat the materials, they're going to digest it, they're going to walk around to another area and poop it out, and yeah, then it will seeds. sprout out of the ground. Yeah. And so it's like, you have to take that into account as well, that whatever you plant is going to travel within the exhibit? Well, not only that, but like but like birds that fly over will oh, poop yeah. seeds that are like, could be from like invasive species. Oh my, that, that's a challenge. Wow, I never thought about this. This yeah, is huge. Wow. Yeah, it was. Animal Kingdom Lodge was going to tell this very specific story. But they had to also sort of stare down the, the pike at, okay, so our herbivores are going to nibble this stuff to the ground. It's going to, and, yeah. and we're more to the point, we're creating the Afri- African savanna, which is dry and flat. It's yep. like, wh- how do we explain the whole brown sparse thing? And so the story they came up with, uh, with the help of the Imagineers, was in the distant past, a Swahili king had taken his tribe to the site of an extinct volcano and established an encampment. When the king died, his son decided to honor his father's memory by developing this encampment into the intimate lodge that we know today. Now, Wait, that, that, that's the backstory? Yes. You're supposed to look out in the savannah and realize, oh, I'm looking, I'm built on the site of a, an extinct volcano. 22 years, Jim. Never heard this story before. 
This is wow. this is why it, you why you keep me on Southland. I, I, I research <laughs> the pointless and weird. Wow. Okay. It's not Disney's Grand Animal Kingdom Lodge in, in the style of the the, the Grand Floridian or right. the Grand Californian. It's Animal Kingdom Lodge because it is supposed to be perceived as intimate. Right. And Dominic did some really kind of clever architectural decisions you know to, to help drive this like for example when you enter animal kingdom lodge you come in on the third, third floor, floor yeah there we go of a six-story building and yeah. only once you you get to the front and step down yeah. do you you know suddenly get a sense of wow the size of this space and the other thing frankly that that keeps it intimate is if you think about the the u-shaped buildings it it can be a hike sometimes. I was going to say, you, get, you, you and I have walked yeah. these hallways, too. <laughs> we, we have. We have. And if you're dragging a, a suitcase that Nancy's packed, you know, yeah. with, with her, her collection of cinder blocks she must travel with, you know, you end up with a baboon-length arm. It does maximize views, though, if you're, uh, if you're looking does. at it from an architecture. Every room has a view. Yeah, so fair. That's the other thing. With this particular hotel, the safety and the health of the animals who make their homes outside in those four savannas, mm-hmm. always comes ahead of the guests who are staying there. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. In fact, there's this great story about how the Animal Kingdom Lodge actually stood empty for months after construction of Phase 1 had been completed, just so that the keepers could then get the animals who'd you know, been procured for, for this resort to get used to their usual routine to bring them in from the barns to teach them that at certain times they had to come back to the barns for wellness checks. In fact, sure. do any of your surveys reflect the fact that between 6 and 11.30 in the morning, I mean, you can get up, you know, you get your coffee, you go to mm-hmm. sit in the chair and look out and it's like, where are the animals? You know, they, I think they do a decent job of rotating it though. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so they do it in shifts. It's not like all the animals go in at once. First of all, I don't know how you, you couldn't you couldn't manage that, but yeah. So they they rotate it. Yeah. During the day, to make sure the very thing you're talking about, you know, the, they're pulling you know one set of animals off of a particular savanna. In fact, there's this discreet sound cue that they've taught the animals. And in fact, it's so funny if you're in your room. You can see them in the the walkway that's basically behind the savanna, kind of just sort of like, you know, going back to the break room to get a donut. <laughs> but yeah, there are during the day there are twenty five keepers, four yeah. managers, and the manager who's in charge of overall animal operations on on staff. On the other hand. Because there were animals out on the savanna 24-7, yeah. uh, over the overnight hours, it's a smaller group. It, it's only 10 keepers and two managers. But during these times when the animals come off the savanna, you'll see the keepers out in the, the enclosure. They'll be yeah. cleaning up poop, but they'll be uh, refilling the browse boxes, those yeah, they, things. Yeah, they have little trucks, yeah. They're setting out food. They're... Um the browse boxes are interesting because they they provide uh, mental simulation. They're not so they, they it's do. one thing to just give them food, but uh, sometimes you give them a uh, a little puzzle to solve to get the food. That's it, exactly. They, yeah. they, they're enrichment program. And in fact, by the way, folks, if you want to try your hand at building some of these in, enrichment elements, make sure uh, you know if you're on the Kidani Village uh, side, you head down to the resort lobby terrace, or if you're on the Jumbo side, the Uzima Uzima is that the yeah. name? Mm-hmm. Uzima. Okay, it turns out most mornings, if you go down there, you can actually meet with a keeper who will then walk you through 
how you create one of these interactive things, as you mentioned, a puzzle feeder. And then mm -hmm. if you're lucky, the enrichment element that you personally built will then be placed out on one of the Animal Kingdom lodges for Savannah's later that same day for the animals to eat. No way. Which brings me to my favorite element of the Savannah's. Um, Len, have you ever sat on a balcony and looked out at the those sort of weird round enclosures in the middle of the savannah they're all fenced off oh right next to the building they like they come out of the building but there's never any animals in them do you know what those are uh timeout corners for the bad ones it's <laughs> a good guess no they are the people pens that's actually the term that's used in house and god forbid if there's ever fired animal kingdom lodge you know, people <sighs> will come oh. running out of their rooms and, and head to the, to the emergency exits. And per the fire codes that the Reed Creek Improvement District has put in place, there must be fire exits on all sides of the building, including those sides of the Animal Kingdom Lodge that face into the savannah. Oh, so it's to protect uh, the guests from the animals if they have to emergency exit. Yeah, that is we go. so smart. There is literally a cast member who's tasked, you know, when they're working a shift at the hotel, that if they're in the event that they're fired, they are tasked to go to a certain people pen because they need to be the voice that's checking with the folks in the hotel with, mm -hmm. with a radio into that effect. And it's like, okay, it is now safe to go back into the building. Or if it is not, in fact, safe to go back into the building, they're the ones who get to open the door of the people pen, lead the guests across the savannah, to the exit out to the Animal Kingdom parking lot. Jim, I'm just saying that I we know for a fact that Disney has to test this every once in a while, and I would volunteer to, Same thing here. to do Same this thing activity. Here. I mean, this place has been open since April 16th, 2001. There has got to be somebody listening to this podcast. Who's that done that? Either, who has done that? And it's like, if you could please share that story, Leonard, I would love to hear this. Oh my God, that's great! So, so I didn't know that that's the background mm. story. I didn't know about the background mm. story for Animal Kingdom Lodge, and I didn't mm. know that those were people pens. I've learned two things on today's show, Jim. For me, again, I'm fascinated by the Herbert Halbeck aspect of yeah, this project. Yeah, I mean, the whole notion yeah, of yeah. you know, to even to this day, you know, how the the folks who work in landscaping at Disney have to go in there and replant. You know, all of this stuff and from a very specific set of, of plants and grasses because yeah. the effect of what gets planted in that enclosure has to not be toxic to 250 different animals. And not only once, uh, but on an ongoing basis, right? Think about all oh, the yeah. invasive species that are in Florida and every, yeah. and they got to yeah. like, they got to go back and check like, okay, this thing that's taken root, what is this? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. I mean, landscaping is sort of the unsung hero of the Animal Kingdom Lodge. That's a, that's a great story. Again, it's a, wow. a resort that's fascinated me yeah. since day one. And, you know, just the, when you factor in the whole back of house, you know, that it has its own sets of barns for its yeah. animals versus the, the, the sets of barns for the, the animals that are actually in the Animal Kingdom theme park. I mean, it's, right. it, it's, it's a very interesting complex. Yeah, great, so. great story, Jim. Okay, I'm glad to share. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the show today. You can help support our show and Jim Hill Media by subscribing over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. On next week's show, Jim talks about how Disney's Star of the Day program led to special events like Star Wars Weekend and Super Soap Weekend. 
You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Len, at touringplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who'll be competing in the biathlon, that's cornhole and speed peeling, at the 2023 North Carolina Potato Festival, starting at 10 a.m. on Saturday, May 20th, 2023, at the intersection of Main and Water Streets in beautiful downtown Elizabeth City, North Carolina. While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and Radar Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.